This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open sourced Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Ruby Rogues podcast. This week on our panel, we have Dave Kimura. Hey, everyone. Eric Berry. Hey, everybody. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. And this week, we have a special guest, and it's Saverio Mirodi. Perfect. Hello, everybody. Yeah, it's like I've spoken Italian before. Do you want to introduce yourself? <laughs> yeah, I'm a systems engineer and backend engineer at Ticketsol. We are at event ticketing um, platform. And uh, I also, I'm also sponsored for writing open source and technical blog and, and so on. And uh, some time ago, since I was working you know, on the classical Wigan project, I started to have a look at the you know, Ruby Dewey toolkits. And uh, for my test application, I had a look at a few of them uh, and tried them. And so I thought it was worth, you know, giving a very wide over, overview at everything that's available for Ruby. Now, when you say uh, GUI toolkits, you're talking about on the desktop machines, right? Yes, mostly on the desktop. Yeah. So the focus of the article that I wrote at the time, at the time uh, was to find out something that, you know, had some ideal uh, characteristics, you know, so distribution, documentation, functionality, uh, also startup time, but it was focused on ideally distributing an application on Linux, Mac, and uh, Windows. And that was, yes, the focus. Awesome. I'm, I'm a little curious just to cut straight to the chase. If somebody mm-hmm. decides they want to build something with this, what, what, what do you recommend that they go with? Wow. <laughs> At the time, I recommended that an underdog. There was um, FXRuby uh, that is backed by the Fox Toolkit. Um, however, there is such a wide, um, I would say, a wide difference between all the toolkits that to give you know, a, a general recommendation is really hard. Uh, because then, for example, you know, the Fox Toolkit requires a server on Mac. So somebody say, oh, I want to distribute my app on Mac as well. Uh, and that's uh, going to be a bit of work. Uh, somebody says, you know, hey, I want to distribute a single binary. Then shoes would work, but other wouldn't work. Uh, somebody wants half a GUI, a GUI development application, right? And then, then it would go, I don't know, for Ruby GTK, okay? Um, so it's, it's hard. It's fascinating in a way because, um, again, software development is also a, a human activity, okay? So it's not straightforward. And uh, the cho- it, through the choice, you see how wide is the subject of GUI and the different way you can approach it. When I, when I think of building desktop applications mm-hmm. and I think about uh, all the different ways to do it, 
the very, very last thing in my mind is I should build this in Ruby. And (laughs) (laughs) so I imagine that I'm not the only person thinking that. Help me understand um, why would people want to build desktop apps in Ruby over, you know, something else like JavaScript with Electron or other than language familiarity? Like what does that give you beyond um, I like Ruby more than whatever? I was going to, I was thinking the same thing because... I generally recommend to people, most Rubyists have web experience. And so I just tell them, I was wondering the same thing. Yeah, that makes sense. And uh, I would say that unfortunately, it's the, the direction the audience uh, is going towards. And uh, this has been shown by the fact that TK has been split from Ruby. And uh, I was a bit heartbroken by that, you know, because I thought, oh, that, that, that was something that was a built in in the standard library. Uh, uh, support and now there isn't anymore. So it says what you're saying, you know, that uh, web development is first and so on. Um, personally, I used a lot because I also write tooling uh, for work, lots of tooling, and because I like consistency. And because, you know, when Ruby came out and it was fancy and Rails was fancy, at the beginning there was this choose, you know, I don't remember actually what was the name when why. Uh, put it out, but there was, you know, the uh, the the panel of um, of shoes, and it's 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 meant to be very easy. Uh, Ruby, it's you know, it makes it very easy with an ideal framework. Should be very easy to hack a simple tool. So it depends on the audience. I say, if you want to write something simple, ideally, I would personally would like to work with something that it's you know that it's Ruby. Shouldn't make you hack a GUI in in an hour and put something for a tool and uh, and distribute it. But that, of course, is just a use case. When it comes to more complex applications, then it needs to be, you know, decided on a per case basis. I'd say. So, where where does Ruby shine in this case? <laughs> it's hard to say because with the GUIs on hand, uh, it's really very much a compromise with everything. Ideally, formally, I would say that shoes would make it shine. But unfortunately, shoes is extremely limited. So you, you can't really go beyond something that is trivial. And it's fun. I mean, when you go, for example, I don't know, to Rails Girls, and you want, you know, it, it could be nice, actually, at Rails Girls. You know, you, you have beginners and they want to see something. And uh, I think that for beginners to, to show something visible rather than, you know, text. Uh, is is a very ideal outcome. So in that place, you could, you know, hack something with shoes and you get something very simple that works, that gives feedback, and that's it. Uh, If you have to start to work, you know, with the web, HTML, JavaScript, it's not something that uh, you can do in a very short time. So that's a case where, you know, where it would shine because it's, it's simple and it's meant to be simple. Then again, of course, if you want to, if you have to go... After that, then it's, it becomes tricky. I think that's the sweet spot. But other use cases, when I wrote my app, I used to do Ruby purely for consistency uh, because I had desktop, strictly desktop needs. Um, and unfortunately, I have to say that it's true. Uh, Ruby is not, it's far from ideal. Um, so it needs, it's compromising and it needs to be thought very carefully if one wants to start a desktop app. Uh, in Ruby or in another language. Could you tell us a little bit about how you've used it? 
Like, I, I oh, yes. it does have those use cases, but maybe share some of your use cases to, to help the audience understand like, oh, okay, I, I could use that use case as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. I wanted to write something very simple. I wanted a desktop search application and uh, but something trivial because I'm a keyboard freak, you know, so I don't want to use the mouse and I wanted to type the name of a file and I want to have a bare bones application, you know, you find several desktop search, but they're heavy. So I just wrote something for myself. And at the time I wrote it at the beginning with FX Ruby, I think, and that worked. And uh, this is a case when you have something that is very simple and well-defined. And, uh, you know, at the very end, it's a file search in the back end. So this was a use case where for me, um, the, the using Ruby was appropriate and the target was the desktop, desktop application strictly tied to, you know, the desktop metaphor. You know, it's kind of funny. I'm one who absolutely hates web applications like Microsoft Outlook or Word being online. You know, I want those on-premise installed on my computer. But when it comes to me making an application, I'm like, no, web (laughs) is kind of good enough. (laughs) But, you know, it's one of those things where... I really like the idea of Ruby being expanded beyond just web application development. You know, Ruby existed way before Rails was even a thing, and it had many use cases with, uh, you know, scripting and doing some other very useful stuff. I even built a CNC controller, so um, I used it to uh, interpret something called G-code, which is a set of coordinates in a file to create and control motors that moved a spindle around. And that was all written in Ruby. So, you know, it was very functional. But then you go over into the desktop application side of things. And I'm like, I just, I'm not convinced that Ruby would be the right fit. You know, give me some Visual Basics uh, 6.0 and I'm good. But... (laughs) Yeah, I, I like the idea of it expanding to other areas as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm curious, you know, as because shoes is not a new thing; it's been around for a long time, and you know, we see these other toolkits that are out there that allow you to build t- desktop applications. Do you think that there's enough momentum there to actually get this to a place? Because I mean, I looked at your blog post, and the, the best any of these got on any of their uh, uh, you know, distribution functionality and documentation was good. You know, none, none of them were like, you know, amazing or I don't know. <laughs> okay. That was just for simplification purposes, you know. Uh, I didn't want to make it as, you know, uh, a very strict in a way. Okay. Like from zero to 10, I give eight or five to this. So for me, it was just poor, so, so and good. So that's just oh, okay. explanation. It's, uh, I mean, it's true. To be honest, it seems like that, as, again, the, the, the split of decay was indicative of what's happening and that this is going to, to be just uh, a niche, uh, especially shoes that it's very limited and it's shoes for is really, it's really slow. It's been developed at an extremely slow uh, pace. Uh, because shoes 4 has been around from 2013, I think, or 14. Oh, wow. 
Yeah, she's four, yes. Uh, so hopefully we'll come out at some point from the release candidate and they should rewrite all the documentation. So unfortunately, yes, I mean, I think it would be the domain of a few people that know Ruby and they are just, they just want to write something, some small tools like I did. And then they uh, they will find a few, uh, you know, a few frameworks. And uh, of course, in that case, talking about distribution doesn't have much sense, you know. So that's what I think it would be the the target of Ruby uh, QE desktop publications. I think we're also missing something else, which is mm -hmm. this is very likely a, a, a wonderful introduction to Ruby for for newcomers, especially younger developers who who really get gratification from that visual feedback. And, you know, swallowing off JavaScript and Electron, that's a big pill to swallow and, and taking on, uh, you know, uh, you know, using a Swift or iOS or, or whatever it might be that you're using uh, .NET. Um, again, really big things to, to, to swallow. So using something like uh, Ruby to build GUI applications is a, I view it as a wonderful way to get into programming for, for kids and for, you know, for people who are just getting started because that visual feedback really provides that gratification that, that we all live and breathe on, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's what we, it's what we thrive on as developers. That's why we're none of us. That's why we're not hardware engineers. We're software engineers because we don't like waiting two weeks for, for the results. <laughs> um, that's, that's one of the things I see. Yeah, I agree. And I think it would be great if it would be pushed in a way and it would reach, you know, a, a maturity so that, you know, it could be an immediate, an evident, I would say, option. Yeah. So when I asked earlier to pile on to Eric's question, I asked earlier which one you would recommend. You said FX. Well, um, <laughs> what would you recommend for people to start learning? Yeah. Like if I, mean, I wanted to start teaching my kids Ruby. Yeah, possibly shoes would be would work. I mean, it's because it's beautifully. In a way, I give credits, you know, to shoes because I've been critical a bit, and there are reasons for being critical. But at the same time, um, as Eric said, in a way, you're very abstracted from writing from the language of QEs. Uh, it's everything Ruby. It looks nice with the blocks and uh, with uh, keywords with the DSL, so keywords that are very uh, immediate to understand. Uh, so yeah, shoes would work. Then there is this big split, you know, unfortunately between shoes three and four, that's a separate, you know, uh, uh, decision to take. But for that case, yeah, should be, uh, uh, shoes would be cool. Probably, you know, there is also, it's, it's nice that on top of XRuby, they put, um, uh, they created a layer in Ruby that looks like kind of shoes. Uh, so it's a DSL, it's a Ruby DSL. So you can do something very similar with, uh, with FX Ruby. It's called FX Ruby Enhancement. And, uh, but that's less immediate. It doesn't have uh, an immediate language for a kid, you know, um, that would require some design to make it very evident. But instead, shoes uses very nice metaphors. Uh, so that for a kid uh, would work would work very well. Also because when you take into account the other, then the other real alternatives are very mixed. You know, uh, you start to understand how an API, a GUI API, a graphical API works, or you should work with intermediate markup languages like Ruby QML 
and so on. Um, the shoes instead is just just ruby. You know, you don't really feel like you're stepping into something else, which is great for beginners. Yes. All right. So I think I have a compromise. Mm-hmm. What about a progressive web application? And for those who don't know, it is a web app. It's a web application that loads like a regular web page, but it can also offer offline functionality. So you can just kind of build a Mac OS or Windows wrapper around a web application that if you go offline, it still loads and kind of sometimes works. And boom, now you have a native application. And you can build the backend Ruby on Rails, so it's still a Ruby GUI. Oh, would that the target be a beginner? <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that essentially what Row Mobile was, or Rhodes, or whatever it was? Deploy more, pay less with DigitalOcean, the simplest all-in-one cloud computing platform for developers. Scale and run cloud applications faster and more efficiently with effortless administration tools to robust compute, flexible configurations, networking services, real-time alerts, and rapid provisioning while enjoying industry-leading price-to-performance with a flat pricing structure across all global data center regions at any usage volume. Spend more time building better web apps and less time worrying about managing infrastructure with DigitalOcean. Build your next app on DigitalOcean. Get started with a free $100 credit at do.co slash rubyrogues. That would be uh, quite <laughs> complex. Uh, yeah, that, that was just for mobile, though, right? I mean, there, there's been a lot of efforts to get Ruby to build to build. Um, yeah, it was mobile only. Mobile I app. thought they were trying to head toward um, desktop as well, but I don't know if they ever got there. Hold on, there's another there's yeah. another one though that I remember. Uh, there's Ruby Motion. Ruby Motion, yeah. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Yes, Ruby Motion. If I'm on a Mac or building for iOS, then Ruby Motion is definitely probably my go to for building a GUI. You know, I think it's much more pleasant to work with than Xcode. And you have uh, a small but active community of people doing that. So I think if I had to do something that was on premise without any kind of and if I was using Ruby, then I would probably go with Ruby Motion today. Mm-hmm. But that's only for uh, Mac devices uh, or if uh, Linux or Android tablets. Um, we're actually going to have, and now I'm blanking on his name. Amir. Amir, we're going to have Amir back on. He's going to be talking to us about doing Ruby Motion on the Nintendo Switch. So. Mm-hmm. They are expanding to other platforms. But yeah, I think it's a lot of work to get it to compile to whatever you have to run it on for whatever new system you're on. Mm-hmm. So in your article, you listed also Opal. What's your experience with Opal in uh, building desktop apps? Uh, sorry, uh, which one? Uh, you mentioned Opal. Uh, Rub- uh, Opal and ah, no, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, I excluded those uh, because I wanted traditional something that was quite that was using Ruby in a straight way, and uh, the the only type of frameworks that I use are those where you uh, use Ruby straight or where you work in a mix of Ruby and markup language like Ruby QML. So, uh, yeah, I've never worked with Opal and I discarded it from the um, comparison. 
Okay. What about, let's talk about storing data and accessing data. How does that play into desktop application using Ruby? Are you able to uh, access a SQLite or something like that that you can package up right along with your application? Well, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it, then it, it depends on a per case basis, but I guess that uh, most of, I use, for example, a lot SQLite uh, when it comes to small applications. And uh, I think nowadays it's just a standard for this type of work, a small self-contained uh, applications. Yeah. And you just use like Active Record or something for that? Uh, no, just the, we, I work with SQLite directly without, you know. Oh, okay. Uh, on, yeah, without an ORM. Because, you know, it, it always depends on what you're trying to do. Uh, you can generally write some small, very trivial SQL layer, for example, uh, just to abstract, you know, the, the, most of the queries and you work then directly with it. I like minimalistic solutions. But those are the things that I wrote. Growing, it, it becomes a bit, you know, it's hard to say if the application would grow also because it, it depends on which assumptions we are starting with, you know. If it's a desktop application, I think that SQLite should be fine for a lot of cases. I would move to something else. So that, that sounds, I mean, to some degree, it's, it's not foreign to people who have done web development, right? You get a little closer to the metal if you're using the SQLite gem instead of the, uh, you know, Active yeah. Record or SQL. But I mean, for the most part, we've all kind of gone and monkeyed a little with SQL, and you can figure out what you're trying to do, you know, to write a SQL query. Okay. Um, I'm I'm curious though, what what kinds of things are we going to run into if we're more web focused as we start building desktop applications that are going to throw us off? Oh, while using uh, SQLite, you refer to. You mean? No, just in general. Because when, your your visual layer is different from the web. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, well, well, but no. your latency issues don't exist either. I mean, there are a few things that are just different between a desktop app and a web app. So is the development process mostly the same or do those things play a major role? Ah, uh, let me think. Um, well, one, uh, single threaded processes versus multiple. So if you're building in Ruby, you can be locked down to a single thread or to a single CPU. Yeah, true. Without I mean, without the consequence like uh, multiple transaction, I guess. I mean, SQLite is very limited on that. If we talk about strictly SQLite, then uh, multiple requests. Uh, it, it always depends, I mean, but SQLite certainly has certain applications when transitioning to uh, higher volumes, definitely. Are you aware of any open source projects out there where people can contribute to uh, that's an existing GUI-based application, something that is built in any of these technologies that we've discussed? Ah, uh, in Ruby, wow. Um, let me think. It's hard. Ruby effects. I am not aware because the I mean the, the frameworks, especially for example, well, Qt, for example, is getting a huge traction. GTK is getting less traction. It's losing, I think, a user base, but not used from Ruby. So I'm not aware. Shoes, no, I'm not aware. 
So, so what exactly are you, you said it was an internal app that you're working on with this stuff? Oh, that was, that's, well, that's interesting because I came across actually a Ruby limitation. Personally, I was working on a sort of uh, search, uh, desktop search app. And uh, I came across the fact that Ruby is, you know, <laughs> uh, it doesn't work with hardware threads. Uh, so, or it, you know, it's, it has problems in running multiple. It's not parallel, it's concurrent, but not parallel. Uh, so unfortunately, responsiveness is also a problem in, uh, in Ruby GUI development uh, because, well, the, aside that the lock, there are also other factors that come in. Uh, there is a sort of um, amount of time between thread uh, context switch. So you um, traditionally are single threaded, but in a GUI, you can, of course, write a background thread that doesn't interact with you know, the GUI. Uh, but actually, when you do that in Ruby, you may have problems because the, the multiple threads wouldn't switch so uh, fast. Uh, so when I wrote the application, actually, I came across this, and there are workarounds, uh, but they are a bit painful. Um, so right now, I'm in a bit of a point where I need to decide if I want to transition, actually, to another language or, or not. Some, it's interesting that some uh, frameworks uh, work also with Rubinius. I think it was FX Ruby. I'm not 100% sure. And Rubinius is a full-fledged, in a way, uh, Ruby interpreter. So there wouldn't be such problem uh, because there is no global lock in Rubinus. But it's this is another well, the limitation that you will come across if you write complex uh, Ruby desktop application. Uh, the my application was called, it was very trivial, it was called uh, Poor Man Spotlight. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yes, because it did only that. And I use it every day, but it's it was very simple. I don't know what actually people is doing right now uh, because I can see also that the project slowly come, you know, you can see that some just at some point stopped even if they have very, um, uh, very common um, backends like QT bindings. It's been active at some point, then boom, disappeared. JLBFX, same thing. So it's, it's hard to say there is always little traction. So if people, I guess, want to really work with those, they probably it's better to, to start their own project or to hope to find something that will stick. Awesome. I also, yeah, I was just looking for stuff that's built with shoes. And yeah, it looks like Hackity Hack was also built on shoes, which was a system to teach people how to code. And that was also <laughs> another project by Why the Lucky Stiff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's hard to write and choose because it has very strict limitations. And, uh, you know, the documentation is fun for the beginner, but then when you go into more advanced intermediate right. stuff anyway, you need seriously structured documentation. It looks like it's a bit from the past, you know, and Ruby was cool. And then you had to transition to something serious, let's say, but uh, the documentation that reflect, reflect this transition. I couldn't write, for example, my application issues because it lacks, you couldn't bind the listeners to widgets. Uh, so that was a big deal for me. Yeah. Was there anything else we should jump on with this stuff? Or maybe there's more stuff that Dave or Eric are looking at here? So this is 
sort of to do with the GUI. And one thing that I found that I really love is a program called Native Fire. And it is a program that you install on your Mac or whatever. And you can take a web application and convert it over into a uh, Electron app. So it's basically going to be a web view. But there's a lot of little uh, benefits that you can do with it. Like you can give it its own... Uh, title its own icon and it's going to store the session and cookie or the cookies or whatever within the electron app so if you have a remember me it's going to remember you for uh, subsequent sessions and it's just overall really cool because you know a lot of the websites that i visit most i'll just throw into a native fire it creates a application on my desktop or whatever and then I can access them, you know, as I would. So offline use, it really doesn't work because it's still just going to be a web view. But it takes a lot of the complexities of trying to do it yourself. It makes it very simple. Yeah, I used to have a an app that did that. I'm trying to remember what it was called. Well, and I think when we talked to Amir again from Ruby Motion, he mentioned that the fastest way to get a working... Um, mobile app was actually to do that where it was a a native wrapper around a web application you know on the web and so yeah if you were offline it wouldn't work but it it's a good first step to just you know get an icon on there where somebody can kind of figure some stuff out and not only that but you can use turbolink to create hybrid applications to where if you are writing a iOS app in Xcode and the main guts of your application is the web view and it just points to your Rails application, there are certain things that the Rails application just cannot do that it's better done natively. You know, for example, having more um, intimate control over the hardware of the device. You're not going to get that from a web application. You know, too many security issues there. but with the iOS app, you're going to be able to access that hardware and do what you need to do while using the web view to interact with Turbolinks to listen for certain events that would then trigger the native functionality of a uh, iOS app. So I played around with that a bit, and it's pretty cool on what you can actually do. And with Rails, you can render different kind of layouts depending on the browser agent. So you can style your iOS application to be a little bit different than the experience that you would see on a desktop. I think also what, what I've gleaned from this conversation is um, there is potential in, in building desktop applications for, for Ruby, but, but for it to really become something that's beyond just a toy or, or fit like little tiny needs, there needs to be more community support around it and maybe more examples. Uh, it seems like I, I've been doing Ruby for a while, and this uh, the GUI development with Ruby seemed like a pretty big topic back in uh, maybe five or six years ago. Um, and I honestly haven't heard of it since. Um, but I, 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 I will push that, that building uh, applications in React and, and Electron is not as simple as building applications in Ruby. 
So I, I hope to see more support around those open source projects and perhaps even a new one that will uh, take it to the next level, uh, as you were saying, Dave, where um, you can wrap up even more cleanly um, applications using TurboLinks and all that stuff into an Electron app or wrap it as an application itself. Um, I think that's a story yet to be told. Yeah, I think my main issue with a lot of the uh, Ruby GUIs that's out there today, with the exception of Ruby Motion, is that a lot of the completed projects I've ever done with them in shoes or whatever, they've always kind of looked like a high school project rather than something that I would actually want to release. Yeah, they just lack that polish. Makes yeah. it look like a real professional app. Yep. Yeah, it's true. But I mean, when you go to a, you know, to a Ruby uh, talk and then you traditionally ask how much, how many people do something that is not web, uh, it's just a tiny minority. So that project should come from the tiny minority that doesn't work with web stuff. And, uh, you know, it would require a good push or, you know, uh, 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 as Rick said, some project that will bring it to the next level in a natural way. Absolutely. All right. Well, anything else that we should uh, talk about before we do picks? I think, uh, well, aside the overview that I gave about the individual frameworks, I don't think I have anything to add. All right. Well, let's go ahead and do some picks. Is your job search stuck? Maybe you're not getting any interviews with employers, or maybe you are, but no job offers. Or you may be new and not even know where to start. This is Charles Maxwood, and I'm releasing a new course and ebook on how to find a job as a software developer. The course walks you through the process of finding the types of companies you want to work for, getting their attention, and putting your best foot forward as the candidate they want. I've coached dozens of developers in looking for jobs and have been able to help several people find jobs within two weeks to two months. So whether you're new to development, can't find a great job that fits what you want, or are looking for remote work from an area without a strong tech community, I can help. Go to getacoderjob.com and sign up today. Dave, do you want to start us with picks? Yeah, so my first pick uh, will be Natifier, which is the wrapper, uh, the Electron-based wrapper for web applications that you can create a little desktop icon. Uh, and my second pick is going to be the 3M command strips. Those things are absolutely awesome. Uh, you can hang any kind of thing on the wall with them. They're real sturdy, and when you pull them down to remove the stickiness, it really doesn't leave any kind of mark from my experience. So um, I've hung some wood projects up on the wall, not heavy wood, but some pine wood and stuff. And it's done a great job. Awesome. Eric, do you have some picks for us? Yeah. One of the things that uh, I'm excited about with uh, CodeFund we just released is something called Community Ads, which allows us to be able to place um, ads that are, they're not really ads, they're more community announcements um, in which... Uh, you know, we don't we don't pay people to place the ads, but we don't get paid for the ads. Uh, but they're very community servicing, and so right now we have two community ads, three actually, but two of them that I'm that I want to point out here is uh, two courses that are put out by Kent C. Dodds. The first one is um, how to commit to open source, and the other one is how to get involved with open source using JavaScript. Um, and I'll link the third one as well. I'll mention it, which uh, the third one is um, how do we, or um, the third one is the beginner's guide to React. Now, all three of these are completely free courses on, um, on Egghead, but they're free because of Ken C. Dodd. So big kudos to him for, for making those public and we'll link them in the show notes. 
Nice. I'm going to do some picks. Big surprise. I'm picking books again, folks. <laughs> um, yeah, I've just been devouring um, some stuff on Audible. Um, one's a fiction book and one is... I don't know exactly what how to categorize it. I guess it's a, like a personal growth tape, for lack of a better term. Um, but I've, I've really, really enjoyed the both. The first one is The Queen's Poisoner by Jeff Wheeler. Um, I listened to the audio book. And the the narrator, uh, so on Audible, um, you, you get different narrators and some of the narrators are amazing and they do like different voices for different characters and, you know, stuff like that. And this this narrator did that. Um, she's just slightly a little bit wooden, uh, especially when you get started with the book. She seemed to get better as she kind of hit her stride with the book, um, but she did a, a pretty good job. Um, and uh, anyway, so the book is The Queen's Poisoner by Jeff Wheeler. You can also just go buy it. Um, and the narrator was Kate Rudd. Um, she's done pretty much all of his books and, and I've enjoyed listening to them. So um, anyway, the other one is um, A View from the Top by Zig Ziglar. And he has a book by that title as well. This is actually the recording where he sat down in a studio. It also includes some of his like recordings from seminars and just kind of overall life lessons for different things. And, and I've really, really enjoyed those. I've listened to all but two uh, recordings or tapes or whatever you want to call them, books um, by Zig Ziglar that they have on Audible. I've listened to all of it and I, I really, really enjoy his content. So um, if you're looking for some sort of some sort of way of, yeah, getting better at life, um, he has a lot of terrific advice on there. So anyway, those are my picks. And then I also just want to shout out about Code Badge again, codebadge.org. Um, and uh, you can go check out the Kickstarter. I'd appreciate the support. And uh, yeah, that's that's it. Saverio, what are your picks? <laughs> My pick, I have one pick actually. It's a movie about the dark side and a bit the bright side of ent entrepreneurship. And I would say the founder. Uh, this is the, it's actually a story of how McDonald's was founded, which is a lot much uh, work than it would seem. And it has lots of, you know, it's a drama and it's interesting, but it has also lots of uh, ideas and experiences about building something that is widely su successful. Um, it's something to watch. It's very interesting. And uh, there are many things that can be taken from it. Uh, it's entertaining also, by the way. <laughs> so the, right. It's the story of Ray Kroc, right? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I wanted to see that. I haven't watched it yet. Yeah, that's it for me. Yeah. All right. If people want to find you online, I'm assuming, I mean, you wrote a blog post. That's how we found you. But how do they find your blog, Twitter, GitHub, anything else? Oh, um, I, I have an account on GitHub, of course, where I put all of my uh, open source stuff. Uh, it's github.com slash Saverio Mirotti. But, and the same, I mean, also my blog is actually a, a GitHub project, you know. Uh, it's a GitHub pages uh, project. So just looking for Saverio Mirotti, will find my, all of my stuff. All right. Sounds good. Well, thank you for coming and chatting with us. Okay, thank you. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.